Well, thank you very much to Earthwatch. Volunteers come on board the Toftowak for 12 days, and uh, we make them work a lot. And I'm going to try to explain how this work is actually afterwards applied to conservation. The, the ship itself is... Uh, it was a working boat when it was built for fishing herring in the North Atlantic. And uh, it is still a working boat right now. We took it to the Mediterranean in 1990 after one year of restoration. We had a few contracts with Greenpeace and universities of uh, Spain mainly. We went to Tunisia to do some work on turtles, and then we went to the Ligurian Sea. There was a, some problems with a, a die-off of striped dolphins, and we ended up in the Chafarina Islands. So this was the great discovery for us. When we went to work in the Chafarina Islands, we um, came across the first publications of physical and chemical oceanography that highlighted the particular interest of this region. Uh, this region is the transition chamber between the Atlantic and the Mediterranean. Both oceans clash and create important areas of upwelling and therefore uh, produce high productivity in certain regions, as we can see in the yellow spots there. At the same time, this is also a junction of three biogeographic areas. We have the Mediterranean, the Lusitanian, and the Mauritanian biogeographic areas that meet here and create a huge biodiversity. It's probably one of the most biodiverse regions in the planet. And that made it very exciting because we looked into the uh, bibliography and there was nothing about turtles or cetaceans, just a few scarce records of strandings and some work of Prince Albert when he sailed through these areas. But there was nothing. So there was a very intriguing question. Is, is this region also important for cetaceans and turtles? So in 1992, we started as an independent organization copying the Earthwatch system with volunteers from Europe and Spain mainly because we already had come across Earthwatch in 1982. And we started the program in the, in the Alboran Sea. Well, the answer to this first question was quite amazing, and it was, yes, it's important to very many species of cetaceans, seabirds, sea turtles, but not only in terms of diversity of species, but also in, in terms of group size. And this region has ex really extremely good climatic conditions for what the sea is, and very huge groups of dolphins, so that makes it very interesting to, as a lab to study cetaceans. So in 1999 was a big turning point. Up to then, we had worked with Spanish volunteers to try to fund our research, copying the Earthwatch system. And I convinced Anna to uh, actually apply for Earthwatch sponsoring. But 1999 was a big turning point. We had BBC and National Geographic coming to film major documentaries in the region. At the same time, Earthwatch started sponsoring us. It's actually 58 nationalities. That figure includes also the Spanish volunteers. But a lot of people ask me, why do you go to Earthwatch if you have such a good system already in Spain, and uh, I convinced them that it was actually worth it, and it has been worth it. It was a complete change working with Earthwatch. At the same time, when the Ministry of Environment saw that we had so much interest coming from abroad, from BBC National Geographic and, and Earthwatch Institute, they uh, set up a project for the design of marine protected areas in the Mediterranean. Uh, we were doing the southern part of Spain, and two other universities were doing the other regions of the Spanish Mediterranean. The idea was to set up a network of MPAs for cetaceans. Now, MPAs are, can be incredible mechanisms for the conservation of biodiversity, but also fishing resources, but only if they're well-designed, well-monitored, and if they have a management plan. Unfortunately, a lot of times, marine re reservations or marine protected areas end up being merely paper parks. This photograph is not a, a setup. It's, it's really like that. This is a protected area that gets money from the European Union, for having absolutely no management. 
Now, Alborand is not only important for cetaceans, sea turtles, and seabirds, and many other species, but also for man, and it has been for thousands of years. Not only at a local level for tourism or, or local fisheries, but also internationally. We have 25% of the world's maritime traffic traveling through this area, and also military-wise, it's a very important region for the whole world. Now, in order to make sure that the, region, uh, the research that had been done up to then would not just get archived away, we uh, applied for some funding from the European Union for a LIFE grant. LIFE is the main funding tool for research or projects that contribute to the Habitat Directive of Europe. And this was focusing on three major points. One was developing conservation and management plans, which we thought had to be there. The other was developing innovative, cost-efficient tools for monitoring marine pelagic species. And the third one was involving stakeholders actively. As I said, this tool was made as, as a contribution for the Habitat Directive. And the Habitat Directive is presently very weak with regards to marine issues. So we really wanted to contribute to uh, finding new tools for the implementation of the Habitat Directive in the marine environment, working on how management plans should be based on scientific, scientific foundation, but also, especially when we're dealing with cute species like dolphins or turtles, to move away from conservation of the individual and really deal with conservation of populations and habitats. The process, I'm not going to go into detail, but the process was a purely scientific process for the establishment of the actions inside the conservation plan, but there's one step, step number six, when we have to prioritize the actions that the scientists have come up with, where we started working with the stakeholders. We had the support of an international scientific committee because this was actually something that was of great interest not only in this region, but uh, also in other areas, and also because we knew that some of the responses, some of the deliverables of this project may not be understood or are accepted by the European Union, and they were paying us, so we needed some support. Now, how does it translate into the volunteers' work? Okay, with regards to the development of innovative research tools, the main actions of volunteers when we go out at sea is very basic stuff, like steering and lookout watches, the same ones that we do as researchers. So we have people steering, also introducing this data. This all gets done into the computer. This includes state on cetaceans, turtles, but also other environmental and human activity data. The outcome of this, and this is the stuff we do once we leave the boat, is uh, spatial modeling of all this data and using innovative spatial modeling tools in order to come up with numbers and maps for management. The direct applications are not only, as in this case, for military, but for all sectors. We provide exactly what they need in order to be sustainable. That is numbers and maps. In the case of the military, to take one of, maybe not the most important, but one of the ones that hits the media the most, is the use of sonars and their effect on beaked whales. Now, we don't like beaked whales being stranded, but the military don't like the media or the beaked whales being stranded e either. So for them having maps showing which areas are especially vulnerable is a huge, hugely important tool. Apart from looking out, we also have a hydrophone listening to the sea and listening to cetaceans. Now here we see some volunteers listening, but also repairing some of the equipment because equipment needs to be repaired. Here we see the setup for playback experiments that we conduct in the Alboran Sea with acoustics. Now the Alboran Sea, as I said before, is an incredible laboratory for working because we have such amazing groups of dolphins and good climatic conditions. This allows us to do some experiments that other people are interested in, but they can't do in other areas because the waters are too murky or too rough. So we've been working with a lot of international organizations or, or institutes in the Alboran Sea for 
providing results that are interesting for us, but also to them. I'm coming back to the other pillar of, of our work, and, and this is the involvement of stakeholders. We had three classic boats. The one with the red sails is the Toftabak. The other two are two other fishing boats that participate in these coastal tours. Not tours just for the media, but tours that would transform these boats into meeting places and classrooms, dealing with tens of thousands of school kids, but also looking at, at identifying and involving stakeholders. And among those, teachers, because we believe teachers are one of the main stakeholders, not only in this program, but probably in all programs related to conservation. Stakeholder involvement was very active with fisheries, and that usually took us from one-to-one -one meetings, mostly at the bar, to meetings on the boat, and finally uh, meetings in actual rooms where we would try to discuss aspects of the conservation plan. Now, this is a very lengthy process because these people are really worried about their livelihoods. Fisheries are in a big crisis, not only in the Mediterranean, but worldwide. And uh, these people are in a desperate situation. In desperate situa situations, it's very easy to blame someone who's maybe not responsible. Artisanal or small-scale fisheries worldwide are right now probably an endangered species. In some places in the third world, this means that people don't have food. In Spain, it's mainly the loss of a cultural value. Volunteers' work with regards to this problem has been photo identification and biopsy sampling as main tools to look into the diet of fishermen or men and dolphins to see to what degree they compete because fishermen were, were blaming the crisis of fisheries on dolphins. The result of this was obviously that it's not so easy, it's not so simple to say that dolphins are taking the fish away because the food webs in the Alboran Sea are incredibly complex. But the aim of the exercise was to make fishermen see that it's not so simple. GIS is an amazing tool also to translate the science and make it really understandable for these people. Now, volunteers' work also is amazing. For fishermen to see that people are coming from all over the world, from 58 countries, to discover this region is, is an incredible input for our pro, uh, program. We're now working with some artisanal fisheries to try to give them an alternative to extinction through activities like cultural tourism, dolphin watching, and other activities that could provide them a future, not only to the old ones that will soon finish the activity, but also to make something interesting for new generations of fishermen. Now, this takes me to another issue, very important with fishermen, that actually puts a spotlight on Spanish fishermen as the bad guys worldwide. We have the highest bycatch of sea turtles worldwide. We have 20 to 30,000 turtles that are caught in this area. This is not that bycatch rate is higher here, it's just that the fishermen here have actually contributing, have been contributing with, to scientists giving data. So they've been transparent, but right now the spotlight's on them as the bad guys. We've been monitoring the fishery together with other organizations and uh, mainly the Spanish Oceanographic Institute. We also have data from the spatial modeling of our surveys, and we've been complementing this with satellite tracking of turtles to see exactly what they're doing. An example of what volunteers have done is catching turtles. We're not trying to drown this turtle, although it looks like it, but we didn't ask it if it wanted to carry this tag. But we hope that the data that comes out of this tag is going to give us information that will help save this population. This, uh, this tag is special because it can be, people can follow the track of this turtle and a blog that, goes, that is related to the movement of, of this turtle through the Love Earth uh, website. These tags cost a lot of money, 6,000 euros. Well, it, it looks like a lot of money. It isn't really so much money. If you think that one day on board the Toftowag is 1,000 euros, whether we sail or whether we stay in port because it's bad weather, it's still 1,000 euros. So in 6,000 euros, you get a huge amount of data. 
It's really fascinating science. For us, it's important. It's important to see why the turtle moves where with regards to different oceanographic variables, fluid oceanographic variables like sea surface temperature, but also bathymetry. We are very interested in looking at its diving patterns, and these tags give us all this information. This website that I really invite you to, to check and uh, contribute to the blogs, and if you have any questions, I'm going to be stuck <laughs> with this blog, but I'm actually very happy with it because it's also adding this other component that is very important for us. Now, all this research gives us information on what these turtles are doing, and that has allowed us to identify five measures with which we could reduce the bycatch rate by 95%. That means we would be saving over 50,000 turtles a year. Deeper fishing, reduced soak time, fish bait, circle hook, zoning. These are all measures that, as scientists, we've come up with. We don't want to go to the ministry and tell the ministry to force this onto the fishermen. We've taken it the other way around. We've gone to the fishermen and said, listen, these are measures that can help you reduce bycatch. Come up with a very simple design for these long lines, splitting it up in segments, looking at one variable at a time. So it's very simple experiments, very good sample size because we have a lot of turtles and a lot of bycatch, and therefore very straightforward answers. That's essential for fishermen to understand and accept measures that come out of this. Volunteers' actions. Well, on bad weather days, they're not so useless. Here we see volunteers making 100 line cutters. And this also brings me to something very interesting. Scientists don't have all knowledge. Fishermen have much more knowledge of the sea than us. And a lot of times scientists are so close to their research that the tree doesn't let them see the, the forest. Now, the input of a fireman coming as a volunteer can be incredible. Because he can say, oh, why don't you put this red thing on that we use for cutting seat belts in accidents? This can help cutting the line of the turtle. Now, we distributed 100 of these line cutters to fishermen. What this does is that the few turtles that will still be caught, the line will be cut close to the mouth. That means that the turtle has a very high chance of surviving because the hook is actually taken in by the body and expelled after close to a year, six months to a year. But if the fisherman just cuts the line a meter or longer, that turtle will die because the line is usually ingested and it will cut through the gut. So it's a very simple thing. It's an idea from a volunteer, and it will save thousands of turtles. The end result of this would be, at the end of this year, we're going to go towards an adaptive management plan of this fishery. We really want this to be a regulation. We have the fishermen support, so we're going to go to the ministry and say, listen, we want it, the fishermen want it, the turtles want it. You just have to put it into paper to make sure that all the fisheries use this in this region. Now, this is a very lengthy process of dealing with stakeholders, and that is because you have to do it that way. One false step with the fishing community can throw away to the garbage decades of work. So you really have to gain the trust and work slowly. You don't have a representative that represents all fishermen. You get to a one port, and that means you have to talk to 10, 15, 20 people. In some sectors, it's much easier. The merchant navy sector, and that's the one of this last example that I'm going to show you, this was actually an action that we put down as low priority, not because it wasn't important, but because we thought it was utopic. And this was moving 25% of the world's maritime traffic 20 miles south. As you can imagine, we, it was quite easy to determine that it was utopic. Someone from the UNESCO Chair for the Environment convinced me to go for a meeting for the Merchant Navy. She was very insistent, so I actually went because I was very saturated with work, and it was worth it because just two meetings with these people we discovered that they were interested in the same as us. Fishermen were also interested. And even in the report and the analysis that we did, even for shipping companies, it was interesting because they would save, be saving fuel. 
And this was to move the traffic separation scheme, those blue lines, off the Cape of Cabo de Gata, 20 miles south, moving it out of this red box, which is the main protected area for the bottlenose dolphin. And this was presented by Spain at the IMO in April 2005. So we're talking about three meetings and one general meeting of the IMO in London. November 2006, in the notice of mariners, ships were getting the news to go 20 miles south of Cabo de Gata, which is a win-win situation. It's good for the dolphins. It's good for shipping. It makes it much easier for ships to go by. So even the captain on board, he has to divert his course less, and uh, it's also good for fishermen. So this was just the opposite of what we had to do with the fishermen. Instead of a lot of meetings, very few meetings, just identifying the right stakeholders, and especially instead of confrontation, science-based management, and sitting down at the table with the relevant stakeholders. I have a lot of people to thank. Those are the institutions, the scientists that have been supporting us. But mainly, I want to thank the volunteers that have helped us and that keep Doftabag floating. And uh, I hope we will still be at least another 16 years also with Earthwatch. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.